Please be seated. When we moved here in 2007, a good friend of mine from Pittsburgh gave me a Browns jersey. And so I was the only one in my family that owned a Browns jersey, surrounded by all these Steelers fans. Because, you know, and, and Kim and I have always kind of rooted for the local team. Growing up in, in the Washington, D.C. area, we were Redskins fans. And so there was no skin off my back to wear a Browns jersey. Go Brownies. And I would tick off my kids. So it was then that uh, my nephews, Joshua and Caleb, were still in Beaver, Pennsylvania, right outside of Pittsburgh. And they were very much into the Steelers. And the Steelers in 2008 were going to the Super Bowl against the Cardinals, which they won. And uh, that's typical. Um, and so they, in all the fewer building up to the Super Bowl, Caleb found a website that sold authentic Steelers jerseys. So Joshua and Caleb ordered them, and Zach and Ben and DT ordered them authentic Steelers jerseys, and they arrived. The fabric wasn't quite that authentic. The patch was kind of off kilter up on the shoulders. Le'Veon Bell's numbers were kind of over on the side. And, the, and to all that, the back of the numbers and the names were kind of peeling. And I just couldn't help but kind of openly mock this. Like, a, are you the Steelers or the Peelers, you know? Yeah. Guys, this isn't genuine. You guys got had, man. It was bad. Well, they looked really bad, but Paul now in this section of the Romans chapter 12 is calling the church in Rome, who's this mixed up group of Jew and Gentiles to be unified in their witness to the Rome, Roman culture. And so he's calling them to genuine faith. And so for the next couple of weeks, he's really showing us what the true marks of a Christian are like. This week, the love that we have for one another in the church Next week, the love we have for our neighbors. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles or in the back of the bulletin or on your, your device to Romans chapter 12 as we continue in our Romans road journey because not only in the Roman culture but also in ours, especially our children, recognize this. This is nothing new, nothing new at all. And as we walk faithfully with him, God is glorified. We will be greatly blessed as his people and third, um, the world will sit up and take notice. So for the first thing Paul does is he establishes the quality of the Christian's love. And that's the foundation for the points that he makes. And then he makes four points in these few chat verses. Number one, what love's actions are. Two, what love's commitment is. Three, what love's passion looks like. And four, loves care and concern, all right? Again, he establishes the foundation and then gives us four points. From that love that we see in Christ, loves action, loves commitment, loves passion, and loves care and concern for one another. So let's look at these. First, he begins with that all-important statement to lay a foundation of the quality of love that there has to be within the church. Verse 9, let love be genuine. The word love here is agape. 
which to this point has been used in Romans only for the divine love of God for his people, except in Romans 28 where it's used for man's love for God, but here the word is used to indicate the kind of love that Christians are to show to others within the body of Christ, a, a God-like love that loves regardless of the circumstances, a love that is deliberate even when it is rebuffed. We're challenged to live out the highest love and to do so with the highest genuineness, authenticity, sincerity. It's, not, it's to be love, not counterfeit. This little statement is so simple and so straightforward and is foundational for our lives as genuine believers. But despite its simplicity, oh, it's not so easy to practice, is it? Because if we're all honest with ourselves, there's a hint of hypocrisy in all of us. Our culture encourages us to live an image, right? The media repeatedly presents us with people that are pretending to be something that they are not and to present themselves as counterfeits, people who mask themselves to counterfeit a love that they do not possess. Most of us honestly can be can appear to be utterly sincere and yet really be hostile to other people. Like when the policeman hands you a ticket and you go, thank you, officer, but inside you're saying, may all your days be filled with traffic cop duties during 98 degrees. <laughs> right? We can even deceive ourselves into thinking we have a love for people that we neglect and we, de facto, do not even like. And Paul tells us that we must get beyond pretense. We must sincerely love. If we claim... Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, because of the first 11 chapters of Romans, all about the mercy of God to us in Jesus, to present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to tell what the wisdom of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If we believe that in view of God's mercies, that we're living sacrifices, our love must be genuine without hypocrisy. This is not an option. It's throughout the scriptures, right? First Peter 4. Young people, listen to this. This is important especially when it comes to that classmate that's sitting next to you in school, really bothers you, right? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. The aim of our charge is love from issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, 1 Timothy 1.5. And of course, in the church we know Jesus' command, and we do it every Monday, Thursday, John 13, by this the whole world will you know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In his book, The Mark of a Christian, Francis Schaeffer wrote, without true Christians loving one another, Christ says the world cannot be expected to listen even when they're given the proper answers. 
Let us be careful indeed to spend a lifetime studying to get honest, give honest answers for what we believe. For years, the Orthodox Evangelical Church has been very poor at this. So it's well to spend time to learning to answer the questions of men who are about us. But after we've done our best to communicate to a lost word, world, still, we must never forget that the final apologetic which Jesus gives is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. This is a call to examine honestly our own hearts, asking the questions, do I love others here at Christ Church like this? Without hypocrisy. And if the answer is uncertain, we must run, not walk to God. There's a confession in this service that we can use and just throw our lives on the altar of Christ before the foot of the cross and ask him to forgive us and pour out his Holy Spirit upon us, which Paul said in Romans 5, the Holy Spirit, which God has given to us, will be poured into our hearts. Having established that love is the foundation and how we live our lives, now we get to the real challenges of this passage. And first what we see is what love does how it's lived out. What are our actions, in other words? What's our moral code? Verse 9, the second half of verse 9, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Some might suppose that love is soft on evil. Not so. Evil is to be hated. Sincere love demands God-honoring moral resolve regarding good and evil. The world tells us, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Barbara Mandrell, 1978, all right? But it's not half wrong. You know, when you love somebody, your life is bound up with them, right? If you love someone, your heart is bound up in his or her heart. Your love's distress becomes your distress. Their happiness, your happiness, but we take it too far. Because there lies the temptation to give the loved one what creates emotional joy rather than what is best for them, even what might anger them. This is the problem with some parenting today. Parents don't punish their children consistently because they cannot bear the tears and the anger. But you know the result of a child without discipline is almost always a disaster. Becky Pippert, in her book, Hope Has Its Reasons, writes, It may seem strange to, sell, to tell someone to love and hate in the same sentence, but that is what Paul does. We cannot love rightly without hating rightly. This is closely linked to being genuine. Real love loves that beloved enough to be a tough love. Think of how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Real love stands against the deception and the lie. No, sin destroys. So real love is demonstrated morally and it's acted upon. Two, Paul next mentions love's commitment to the church and in the church. 
Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. The word love is a translation of phileo, the Greek word that, that combines the friendship love and a familial love. It can also be translated as devoted to, be devoted to one another with warm family affection to one another in brotherly love. It's a family-type devotion to one another. And it's more than just friendship. It involves commitment that is experienced in good families. The natural desire will be then, as the last half of that verse mentions, to outdo one another in showing honor to one another. Healthy families have a mutual respect for one another. They defer to one another. They have a pleasure in the elevation when another family member has great success. We all rejoice. This is the way it ought to be in the church. For love heightens family commitment and familial joy. But you know the church kind of sometimes fails at this, right? Chuck Swindoll spoke about a, a church in Texas in the Dallas area years ago who had such a debate over the color of the carpet. The split was so bad that one faction of the church sued the others for control of the church building because the choice of carpet was unacceptable. And so the newspapers picked up this story. And Dallas was really interested on what the color of the carpet would be over this church and what was happening. And the judge said it was not a matter for the civil courts. It was the judge for the denominational court. And so after much discussion, the denominational court awarded the property, one of the two factions, and the other, the losers, withdrew and built a church down the road with a proper church carpet color. Lord, have mercy. Right? How different things would have been in that church had they heeded Paul's call to mutual commitment to love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Let's be about it. And keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? All right. Third, Paul challenges with a faith that is described as passionate. We are all called to a passionate faith in Jesus. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be fervent carries the idea of burning embers. The RSV translates it, never flag in zeal, be aglow with the spirit, serve the Lord. Our love is to be dispensed to one another and encouraging to one another. Because we're excited about what the Lord does. He doesn't take an extrovert and makes you an introvert and vice versa. He did not going to change your personality. But we're passionate for the Lord. Is normal Christianity. And so such fervent loving calls for our best. And it's going to cost you. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to cost us emotional, emotionally as well as physically. I mean, Luther worked so hard, when he went to bed, he went to sleep. He was so tired at the end of each day. 
Moody's bedtime prayer as he rolled into his bed on one occasion is recorded as, Lord, I'm tired. Good night. Amen. John Calvin's biographers marveled at how much work he churned out. John Wesley rode 60 to 70 miles a day on average, preached three sermons a day. When Alexander McLaren went into his study, the great Scottish preacher would take off his slippers and put on his work boots because he knew that the minister of a God is to be a working man. You see, my brothers and sisters, true love works and serves others. So don't let our selfish, selfish turned inward culture define for you what a Christian is. We are passionate with a love for the Lord and a love for one another. And it shows. And it's observed by those around us. Last and fourth, there is love's care. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Our care for our brothers and sisters in Christ should reach down into our wallets and purses, and it's going to cost us practically. Paul presents this as a privilege rather than a sacrifice because the word contribute is one of our great Christian words, koinonia, fellowship, which suggests a common sharing of fellowship. When Christ's church is living in love this way, the needs of his people are met through sharing as well as caring. Love's care is also exhibited, notice, when we show hospitality. Here we must, we will note something that's something beautiful and quite convicting. Love's care is exhibited uh, because the word show means pursuing, chasing after. It, it denotes a strenuous pursuit. The idea here is a, as a loving believer does not wait for the stranger or even the other church hurting member to show up on the doorstep, we go to them. Origen in the early church wrote it this way. How finely does Paul sum up the generosity of the man who pursues hospitality in one word. For by saying that hospitality is to be pursued, he shows that we are not just to receive the stranger when he comes to us, but actually to inquire after and look carefully for strangers to pursue them and search them out everywhere. Well, of course, this was terribly important in the early church because it was a common practice in that day when a person came to Christ, their family disowned them, and they needed help. And it's equally important in many parts of the world where that situation still occurs, but I would also say it's important to the life today right here in the West Shore of Cleveland. We reach out to one another and others. It brings an incalculable. Relationships are enhanced. Love is disseminated. And souls are encouraged as we practice mutual hospitality. And we're all to do it. 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's rather direct. And our text in Romans says we should aggressively pursue it. Genesis 18 gives us the example of Abraham being hospitable. 
And Hebrews 13, 2 tells us, For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So let us review what Paul has taught us today. The true marks of a Christian for one another here in the church. One, it has a quality. Based on the view of mercy of God's love, we're called to make our love genuine by demonstrating it morally. Abhor what is evil, hate what is good. Be committed, love one another with a brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. What would it be like to show that kind of family love here at Christ Church West Shore? Three, love has a passion. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Think of such a blessed fire of Jesus Christ in each and every one of us by the power of the Holy Spirit if we live this way among one another. And then we have love's care. Contribute to the needs of the saints to show hospitality. I think if we were to sum it up, love is doing whatever it takes to give people what they need. <laughs> right? And whatever it takes does mean at times that you make sacrifices of emotional energy as well as your own personal rights. This kind of love may mean you give something what they might need, which they may not want. <laughs> but we give them the help that they need in doing so. Lauren Sani worked for the Navigators back in the 70s. He was the, the campus minister at the Air Force Academy doing the Navigators ministry. And he noticed a certain cadet. Uh, and there's a lot, if those of you who ever have known people at the Air Force or any of our academies, it's grueling. It's a huge commitment for those cadets. And there's so much competition and peer pressure one of the young men started a Bible study and was very much involved with its success. It started off very few little attended it, but because of this cadets pushing and motivating others to be participants in it, finally the group grew and he was acknowledged as a leader of the group. So one morning as Lauren was talking with the group, he was invited in and he was talking about the importance of a personal worship time with the Lord. Lauren asked this particular cadet who was the identified leader, tell us about your walk with God. How's your personal worship time? How do you keep your heart warm? The cadet looked at the group, blinked his eyes, and started to cry. He said, sir, I don't have any time with God. As a matter of fact, I'm a fake. And he admitted in front of the whole group that he was simply driven by the need to be known and viewed as the leader, and that he wasn't even a Christian at all. He'd been trying to do his whole salvation by his own works and on his own way. And Lauren graciously led him to the cross. He came to faith in Christ because this was the very passage <laughs> that was being taught that day of what a true Christian looks like in loving their brothers and sisters. Because we can't do this on our own, amen? We need a Savior. 
and every single one of us are challenged by a passage like this, and what a wonderful time to just reboot and see how we might follow Christ with a genuine faith in view of the mercies of God. So let's ask ourselves some questions. What actions does your real love for others at Christ Church display? What does it display on a consistent basis? Two, what aspects of real love are challenging for you? Because this is a place of grace. We're all challenged by it. And three, think of someone here at Christ Church you know that has a need. How can you do whatever it takes to meet that need today? We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we're growing that grace by his grace alone. Sanctification, that's what it's all about. Let's run to the cross today, not only here at the end of the sermon, but also throughout the liturgy. We have a confession, and we come to the table to receive his mercy and grace because all that he's done for us in Christ. Let's come to that table. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling for his glory and to be a blessing to one another this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a convicting passage that Paul gives to us today, but it's so wonderful that he grounds it in the grace of God and Jesus. Last week we learned that we're, we're called to use our gifts in serving. Well, in doing so, Lord, we, hit, we pray that our love would be genuine among one another. And in so being authentic believers, we would be built up as a body and you would bring a wonderful renewal in each and every one of us so that you would be glorified, we would be blessed, and the world would see the salt and light that's within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.